0: Welcome to Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. I'm Dave James. In a moment, I'll talk about Ohio's opioid problem with Amy Shadwick, director of Recovery Ohio. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, Tracy Townsend covers a number of topics, including the wrap up of the U.S. Senate career of Ohio Republican Rob Portman, bills passed at the State House as the year winds down, and moves made by Columbus City Council on gun and tobacco regulations, as well as a discussion with Councilmember Elizabeth Brown, who's leaving that position to become the CEO of the Columbus YWCA. And I'll wrap up the hour talking about the holiday blues and concerns about social media with Dwayne Casares. He's the CEO of Directions for Youth and Families. First up on Columbus Perspective, on the phone with me is Amy Shadwick. She is the director of Recovery Ohio. How are you doing?
1: I'm good. How are you? Good.
0: Thanks for talking to us. What is Recovery Ohio?
1: Recovery Ohio is actually an initiative out of the governor's office. It's an executive order that the governor created when he took office. And so really um, what the focus of Recovery Ohio is to make sure that we're working together across all of our state agencies to address mental health in addition When I talk about Recovery Ohio and talk about really aspirationally what we think we're trying to achieve is we want Ohio to be the most recovery-friendly state and place to live. So if you are someone with a mental illness and substance use disorder or you're a family member with someone who has those diseases or you even care about someone, who suffers from those diseases, we want Ohio to be the place that that you live in, and get the treatment and get the support that you need.
0: What is the uh, current situation with the opioid epidemic in Ohio?
1: Unfortunately, um, as we look at the opioid epidemic and just broadly the addiction crisis in Ohio and really nationally, um, we do continue to see an increase of overdose deaths. Um, in our state and really across the country. And that's really not in- attributed to increased drug use. It's actually attributed to um, the increased lethality or deadliness of the drug supply. So more and more we're seeing fentanyl um, in our drug supply. And in fact, over 80% of the overdose deaths in Ohio um, involves fentanyl. So it's a really, really deadly uh, substance. And unfortunately, that leads to us losing um, more violence to overdoses.
0: You know, it's frightening to think about how much worse this would be without naloxone or uh, Narcan.
1: Yeah, it really is. And we're really proud of the efforts that we have in the state around um, naloxone. Actually, just recently... We um, launched a new website that actually streamlines the process of getting naloxone. So for those of of the listeners who may not be familiar with naloxone, it's actually a a drug that can be administered through the nose if someone is experiencing or you think they may be experiencing an overdose and it actually um, kicks them into withdrawal and um, basically really uh, brings them back to life. And so having that life-saving drug um, available is really, really important. So we created a website. It's naloxone.ohio.gov to streamline the process regardless of if you're a community member or you're an organization, a law enforcement organization, we want to make sure that people have an easy way to request and get naloxone um, in their communities to ultimately save more lives.
0: Talking with Amy Shadwick, she's the director of Recovery Ohio. I think uh, the number of uh, overdose deaths in Ohio, it's about 4,000 per year or so. Is that about right?
1: Yeah, I, I think, um, unfortunately, the most recent set I've seen is, is just over 5,000 from 2021. But, yeah, I mean, you know, it's a, it's a high number and too many people um, that we're losing.
0: And Recovery Ohio is, in large part, kind of an educational campaign. I'm sure that most people listening have seen those beat the stigma messages on television. And you're one of the members of the group behind that, right?
1: Yeah, so one of the things that we did early on with Recovery Ohio is the governor uh, created an advisory council and really charged that advisory council to create recommendations and a report to guide the work of Recovery Ohio, uh, both within the governor's office and within our state agencies. And the number one recommendation in that report was actually to create a campaign to end stigma. And so rather than um, go it alone, we actually decided to partner with the Ohio Opioid Education Alliance, which some of your listeners may be familiar with their former uh, commercial, the Denial Ohio commercial in that spot. So we decided to partner um, at the state and provide funding through the Ohio Department of Mental Health and Addiction Services Um, To the Adam H. Board of Franklin County, who is another partner in the effort, and to join forces with the Opioid Education Alliance to create this campaign um, to beat stigma, to end stigma around mental health and addiction.
0: And I guess one of the main driving reasons for that is that if people are already facing the difficulties of of an opioid addiction and if they're marginalized in society, then some of the underlying conditions that may have led to those problems are only going to get worse and it's going to make it even more difficult for them to recover.
1: Yeah, and you know, unfortunately... stigmas around people who have mental health and substance use um, have been prevalent in our community, in our society really for a long time. And so not only is it about, um, you know, having those conversations, but it's about reducing that stigma. So when someone or their family member might be facing mental illness and addiction, that they're willing to talk about it and they're willing to seek the treatment that that they need. So hopefully they can go on to, you know, live a healthy, productive life. Certainly we know if folks don't feel like they can talk about those diseases, they're less likely to enter treatment or it takes them longer. And so just like a physical health condition, we'd we'd rather see someone go to their primary care physician and, and, you know, start to talk about some of the things that maybe you have high blood pressure, maybe you have high blood, you know, high cholesterol and address it at that point rather than waiting until you show up at the emergency room with a heart attack. So that's really the same idea with the disease of addiction. You know, let's start, start talking about it early. Let's intervene early and engage in treatment and, and get those resources and supports in place rather than waiting until you're really at a crisis point.
0: And some of the phrasing has been changing, or there's been an effort to change it. I notice uh, that you and others that I talk with in the field uh, routinely now, without any hesitation, can use words like substance use disorder instead of calling someone an addict, things like that. I mean, it, it may seem subtle to somebody who's not listening carefully, but that's just the tip of the iceberg of the kinds of changes that are being done.
1: Yeah yeah absolutely. so we've we've made a big focus on changing the language and really using what we call person first language, so focusing on the person um, and not leading with the disease. So when we talk about a person with a substance use disorder, right? still focusing on the person. another thing that that we actually did at Recovery, Ohio. Um, in addition to the Beat the Stigma campaign, is we actually worked with the Opioid Alliance and the Attorney General's Mental Health Task Force. And we actually created a resource guide um, for media professionals like like yourself to uh, share information and education, not only about language, but also imagery. So as you talk about language, Also the imagery. So you may be watching the news or watching a television show and the pictures that we use and the videos that we use whenever we portray people with a substance use disorder or a mental illness are also really important so that we're not inadvertently continuing to carry on that message and reinforcing those stigmas.
0: Talking with Amy Shadwick, director of Recovery Ohio. Unfortunately, every week that goes by, somebody else dies who, in their family or in their circle of friends, would have never believed it could happen to them.
1: That's right. And that's why really one of the parts of the Beat the Stigma campaign and why it's so important is we're we're doing a few things with that campaign. The first one is to ask each person to really challenge what they know about mental illness um in addiction and making sure that we're having those those conversations but another really really important part of the beat the stigma campaign and really the conversations that we're hoping it will elicit is really really that underlying thematic of treating people with respect and empathy and not judgment because Everyone has a story that you might not know about. There's always more to the story. And for all of those folks that, you know, lose a loved one and and folks may have those stigmas and prevent from having those conversations. It's just really, really important that we start to change that culture and making sure that we're, that we are treating people with respect and empathy and, not continuing that judgment judgment and stigma whenever a family may also be suffering from a loss.
0: What uh, are some of the other initiatives that are going on with Recovery Ohio or with the uh, Opioid Alliance? I,
1: I already mentioned the naloxone.ohio.gov website, which was, again, an initiative for a, a partnership between Recovery Ohio, the Ohio Department of Health and the Ohio Department of Mental Health and Addiction Services. And again, that's a way... To, um to streamline for our community members and individuals if you're looking to um, request naloxone or you're in need of naloxone um, that that that's a great resource and a new one that's available another one that um, I I'm particularly proud of proud to talk about and think it's a really innovative approach whenever we think about how to, tackle and and educate about addiction and that's the recovery within reach campaign. So Recovery Ohio partnered with the Ohio Department of Commerce to actually create that campaign. And so really early on Governor DeWine when he took office, he encouraged all of our state agencies to think about how can they be part of Uh, and part of the solution whenever we think of the addiction crisis. And so we've seen some of our state agencies come up with really um, innovative ways to do that. And so the Ohio Department of Commerce launched the Recovery Within Reach campaign. And the goal is to connect people with resources and to treatment near them and provide them with resources. But one of the ways that they're doing that is actually through educating certified financial planners. We know from some research that family members um, may spend up to $35,000 to help a loved one find treatment for addiction. And so this campaign is actually a creative way to provide information about treatment and resources available in the community through certified financial planners. So we want to make sure that certified financial planners know about their resources and the other options that are available for someone to engage in treatment. So hopefully someone doesn't have to use their investments or their retirement accounts to help pay for a loved loved one's treatment, but rather use some of the resources that are already available in the local communities.
0: That's great. What about in terms of uh, facilities that can help those who are trying to recover? Do, do we have enough of those in Ohio or are there more coming online?
1: So actually not directly related to facility, but that was the other point that I was going to mention is the other thing that actually did just come online July 1st is 988. And that's actually the the 24-7 suicide and crisis lifeline. So one of the things when we talk about um, capacity and is there enough inpatient capacity in the state really is the other question there is, is there an opportunity to engage with people um, in the community and, again, engage with them early on in the crisis? And if there's an opportunity to do that, they may not need uh, to come to a facility or or be um, hospitalized. So, Ohioans now who are experiencing a mental health or addiction crisis or their family members can actually call um, 988 anytime, 24 hours a day, seven days a week um, to reach a trained counselor. And then again, if there's a need for that person then to, you know, go from outside of their home or outside of the community, the 988 trained counselors have the resources in those local communities to be able to get that person to the care that they need immediately.
0: That's outstanding. Uh, talking with Amy Shadwick, she's the director of Recovery Ohio. It seems like the opioid addiction crisis has become more of a street-themed situation of late, and yet prescription drugs played a
1: part in this. They did. So, you know, really early on, it, it did start with prescription drugs and, and that, um those prescription pain medication. And, and then we really saw it evolved to um, heroin. And and now we really are seeing um, fentanyl. In fact, um, there are very few deaths now in Ohio, overdose deaths that include heroin. It, it predominantly is fentanyl now. And so when we think about, you know, Recovery Ohio and, and how to move forward We really think more broadly about the disease of addiction and and are starting or or been really intentional to make sure that we're not just talking about opioids, but we're really talking about addiction and and all substances because we know that um, the people that were that are using substances are often using multiple substances. It's not just one. So it's really, really important as we think about our response and our efforts that we're making sure that we're addressing addiction, broadly speaking, and not just focusing on opioids.
0: Right. There's been a a big uh, upswing in fentanyl found in meth and cocaine as well, right?
1: Yeah, that's one of the things when you look at the information um, from our Ohio Department of Health reports is that. There are more and more deaths that are including fentanyl, and we have seen a large number of overdose deaths that are meth and fentanyl and cocaine and fentanyl, which often what, what we hear when we talk in some of those communities are many of those folks are not seeking fentanyl. And because fentanyl is so lethal that the first time that someone uses that unknowingly they may think they're using cocaine and they're unknowingly using cocaine and fentanyl. Unfortunately, that's a really lethal combination, and often we lose that person.
0: It's a frightening situation. Talking with Amy Shadwick, Director of Recovery Ohio, anything else you'd like to add?
1: I think just the last thing I'd like to add is just as, as folks listen um, to this, and especially if you're part of of an organization that is interested in, in being more involved, um, that the Ohio Opioid Education Alliance is is definitely a great way to do that. The alliance actually has over 100 businesses and organizations that are really all working to, to end the stigma, and it's a really impar- important part of our relationship with the alliance and, and the governor, so we want to make sure that folks know that the Alliance exists. We're not aware of any coalition like this across uh, anywhere else in the country. And so if folks want to learn more or want to become a part of the Alliance, uh, you, they can go to the beat website, which has more information about the campaign and then also the, the Alliance. Cause I know that those partners, are really important to us at the state and really what helps make the message move forward so that folks can um, beat the stigma.
0: And Amy, if there's a family out there in crisis, what are the important contact numbers or websites to know?
1: Yeah, so first and foremost, um, 988. So again, 988 is the 24 7 365 Crisis line that was established in Ohio and across the entire country on July 1st. So, if someone or their family members experiencing a mental health or addiction crisis, they can call or text 988. So that really is a really an important one. And the other thing that just if you if you are listening and you ha- and you have a family member or you may be struggling yourself, I just want to send a message of hope. Um, to take it one day at a time, uh, reach out for help, and and to know that there's help out there, and uh, reach out, and there's hope.
0: Great. Amy Shadwick, she's the director of Recovery Ohio. What's uh, your website also?
1: Yeah, thanks for asking. So our website is recoveryohio.gov. So many of the um, things that I shared today about the recovery within REACH The naloxone.ohio.gov website, also the the Beat the Stigma campaign. Um, We have multiple resources on our website, so be another great tool um, for your listeners to have handy if they ever want to look and find resources for mental health and addiction.
0: Okay, good to talk with you, Amy, and thanks for all the information.
1: Yeah, I we appreciate it, Dave. Thank you for um, inviting and making this important topic um, one that your listeners can learn more about.
0: This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, here's Tracy Townsend. From her Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State, a new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV.
2: and thank you for joining us here on Face the State. I'm Tracy Townsend. We start with a goodbye message from U.S. Senator Rob Portman. After more than three decades of public service, including in both chambers of Congress, Portman will retire at the end of the year. He was first elected to the Senate in 2010. He was born in Cincinnati and lives there with his wife. He made this goodbye speech on the Senate floor.
0: In my Senate office, as these folks behind me, Uh, can recite Uh, we have a mission statement and we developed it uh, together it says the following our mission is to deliver bipartisan results through effective servant leadership with integrity selflessness and excellence so all Ohioans can reach their God-given potential what is servant leadership I think it begins with the respect for constituents by listening to them and understanding their concerns and then whenever possible delivering those results for them from casework to legislation During my time in the Senate, I'm proud of what we've been able to accomplish for Ohio and the country by trying to follow that formula. I'm told by my staff today that as of this week, over the past 12 years, there are 195 bills that I have authored or co-authored that have been signed into law.
2: After Portman's farewell speech, several Senate colleagues offered remarks, including Senator Amy Klobuchar. Rob, we're going to miss you so much. Uh, But just as John said, I have a feeling uh, that this is not your last act and that along with Jane and your wonderful family, there'll be much more to come. J.D. Vance will take over Portman's seat. We do wish Senator Portman the best of luck. He has been a friend of Face the State, and we certainly wish him well in this next chapter of his life.
3: Today,
4: I sign the Respect for Marriage Act into law.
2: The House passed the bill with a vote of 258 Yays, 169 no's. Every Democrat voted in favor of the bill, along with 39 Republicans. Four Ohio Republican lawmakers are in that group. Mike Carey, Anthony Gonzalez, David Joyce, and Michael Turner. The Senate passed it last month. Senator Sherrod Brown says this is a huge victory.
4: Even though you know a third of the members of Congress uh, voted against it, I don't understand why anybody says that that people can't marry the person they love. I don't I don't care who they are if they want to establish a legal relationship. More power to them! It brings more stability and happiness to our society. Um, I don't understand the opposition, so I'm for anything that gives people that security and that freedom. I don't understand people standing in the way of it.
2: Ohio lawmakers continue to push through several bills as the lame duck session, including the distracted driving bill. Under this legislation, drivers could be pulled over by police, in some cases solely for holding or using a cell phone while driving. Governor DeWine says the bill is a step forward in making Ohio roads safer.
4: Look, it's not perfect, uh, but but let's keep in mind that this has been stalled in the legislature for a long, long, long time. So, you know, I, I'm I'm someone uh, who, who's always uh, willing to uh, uh, you know to take a a victory and uh, get started down a pathway. Uh, I think it's good. It sends a signal to people uh, that distracted driving uh, is is very, very dangerous. Uh, I think we will then have the opportunity to come back in the future and, uh, uh, let's say, uh, get rid of some of the rough edges of of the
2: bill. Several bars in the capital city are one step closer to not being able to sell liquor. We'll talk about why Columbus City Council voted to pull their licenses. And her days on council are almost up. I sat down with Elizabeth Brown to look back on her career and what's coming next. Columbus
0: Perspective is a public affairs presentation of WBNS Radio. The opinions expressed on this program are those of its guests and do not necessarily reflect those of WBNS Radio, its staff, management, or sponsors.
3: Need to visit the Ohio BMV? Go online first. It could save you a trip. It's now easier and more convenient than ever to get what you need from the BMV online. Need to renew your driver's license? Renew online. And if you need to renew your vehicle registration, visit one of our new BMV Express kiosks or go online. Online. If you do need to visit a BMV agency, use the Get In Line online tool, also found on the website, to save your spot and minimize your time waiting. For more services available online, check out bmv.ohio.gov.
4: When you're high, you feel different. You think different, you talk different, you draw different, you listen to music different, but you probably knew that. Problem is, you also drive different, and not in a good way. That's why driving high is illegal everywhere. So if you're high, just don't drive. Make a plan to get a sober ride. Because
0: if you feel different, you drive different. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Back to Tracy Townsend, courtesy of 10TV.
2: Welcome back to Columbus City Council. Members tackled liquor licenses, minimum wage, food carts, and gun control. We'll start there. Council unanimously voted to pass what city council members are calling common sense gun laws. Council President Shannon Harden says this is a huge step forward in eliminating violence from the streets. The reform will prohibit ordinary residents from owning large capacity magazines with 30 or more rounds of ammunition. It will also prohibit reckless selling, lending, giving, or furnishing a firearm to anyone who is prohibited from possessing one. It also prohibits a person from negligently storing a firearm in a place that might be accessible to minors. City Council Member Shayla Favor says this will be enforced on the streets and she's confident in this legislation taking advisement from City Attorney Zach Klein. For me, this is worth the risk. Protecting our residents, protecting our youth is worth the risk of a potential lawsuit. Uh, We want to make sure that we're doing everything we can to keep residents safe. City Council also voted to strip 12 of the 13 liquor permit renewals for local businesses that were believed to have chronic criminal activity, including crime, overdoses, and liquor violations. The list includes Dollhouse, Platform Lounge, Queen of Hearts, and Julep.
0: There's a
4: particular concern to me with Julep. Our number one, unchecked underage drinking, excessive noise, littering, vandalism, fighting. What we're doing now is trying to make sure that we move forward in a better light so that way people are safe and that we can avoid that situation from happening again and to also de-escalate situations as well.
2: You might remember it was outside of Julep where 37-year-old bartender Gregory Coleman Jr. was sucker punched and later died. His sister, Glenna Coleman, tells 10TV's Ashley Bornanson. These measures are one small step toward accountability.
1: We're just thankful. We're thankful that people are going to be held accountable um, across the board, and, and we believe that everyone should be held accountable.
5: Glenna Coleman says this season has been one of the hardest of her family's life, accepting they will never see her brother, 37-year-old Gregory Coleman Jr., again.
1: had our first holiday without my brother. Uh, we have more holidays coming. It's unimaginable. It's just a pain that our family will never get over. Glene says she believes
5: shutting down establishments like Julep will help ensure safety on our streets.
1: Shutting someplace like this down along with the many other places that are just dangerous to Columbus is a step forward in making Columbus a safer place and a safer environment so people can go out, have a nice night and not have to worry about things like this happening. City Attorney Zach
5: Klein says the city zeroes in on businesses that have excessive dangerous activity to ensure public safety.
3: We look at you know the police runs, the data, the shootings, the stabbings, uh, and a lot of it is also complaint driven, whether it's our work in our neighborhoods with nuisance abatement lawsuits and drug houses or the objection to liquor license.
5: According to the city of Columbus, there have been 93 calls of service to Julep in the past two years. 40 calls in 20 20- 2021, 53, and 2022. These calls include responses to shots fired, sex crimes, people with guns. OVI, assaults, fights and disturbances. A spokesperson for Julep says they are taking steps to make the area a safer place.
4: It's making sure that we do four pat-downs. We have four people on the doors at all times and people inside of the building as well.
5: As for the Coleman family, a says they appreciate the community's support and would like to see more thorough vetting of security at local bars to make sure nothing like this ever happens again.
1: I think that they 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 need to understand who they're hiring, um, and there needs to be background checks that are completed, that are
2: followed up on, um, and that are done correctly. That was Ashley Bornanson reporting. City Council's vote, really just the first step in this process. Zach Klein says... Next, his office is going to bring the cases to the state's Liquor Control Commission, where a final decision will be made as to whether they are permanently going to lose their liquor licenses. Targeting liquor licenses isn't the only way the city is trying to curb violence. The city council had a public hearing on some legislation targeting food carts. The goal is to reduce the hours food carts can operate from 3 in the morning until 2 in the morning in order to cut down on late-night crime.
3: And hopefully everybody walks away feeling heard absolutely heard, and that we come up with a product that is
4: um, something that the community can live with, both the residents, businesses,
3: and then, of course, the food cart vendors themselves.
2: Council member Emmanuel Remy says the next step is to draft final legislation based on the feedback they've received from these public hearings. They do hope to present that early next year. For council, one of its members is getting ready to start a new job. Elizabeth Brown served seven full years on Columbus City Council and is now making a change brown is taking on a new title she is the new title of ceo president of the ywca and you may remember that she'd just given birth two weeks before her first election she told me in our sit down interview this week that at that time she had no idea what she was doing as a mother or as a candidate it was she says the beginning of a lot of learning and i will always remember
6: um She was in my rap, right? Um, She and my husband and I went to the election night party, and when the votes were tallied and and I won, um, I walked out on stage and I had her on me. And she was... Eight days old, I Thank want to say, you. something like that. Thank Two and a half so weeks old, um, I have and to say, there is she slept to through the, praise, the whole thing. All like the cheers, me yelling into a microphone, out. and um, you know that was back I when I was naive enough to think that like babies do story. sleep a lot
2: because that changed. <laughs> That's <laughs> hilarious. So um, when you think back to that, the night that you won, um, how would you describe your tenure on Columbus City Council? Well, you we know, I said this last night when I was talking to my colleagues. I when I and I walked in
6: to City Hall doors and got sworn in, I was really in awe of everything that we can accomplish here. And I honestly leave almost exactly seven years later, equally in awe of what can be done here. We passed the city's first ever paid family leave policy. We established the first ever incentive for businesses to hire restored citizens, really baked into our purchasing agreements. Um, We also established um, the first ever living wage for um, job creation projects that the city pursues. So at the time it was $15 an hour, and we put in there a requirement to review that wage, which was really beautiful because last night that review came up and we raised it to today's living wage. Um, and it's a reminder of how important that kind of thing is in governing because with inflation and other things, $15 an hour doesn't mean what it did seven years ago. These are the budget books. So I um, have chaired um, the, the council budget processes for six years. And it's really some of my favorite work that we've done. Budgets. The budget. Because the key to everything is the budget, right? Do you, if, if you um, say you value something, where does it live in the budget? Um, and I've been able to see the money, follow the money, and also try to demystify the process for
2: constituents. I love the energy as you're describing all of this. I'm just going to be very blunt. Why are you leaving? <laughs>
6: I love that question. Um, I am leaving because I've done so much here and I actually see the way that the work we do here really functions at its best with awesome community partners in the community. Um, And I want to do that
2: community work in a different way. New leadership, leadership is coming to the state's largest school district. Dr. Talisa Dixon announced that she's going to retire at the end of the school year. Superintendent Dixon wrote in a letter that this was not an easy decision, but it was time to move on. She served as superintendent of Columbus City Schools for the last three and a half years. A spokesperson with the Columbus Education Association told 10TV's Richard Solomon that she believes teachers and parents deserve a say in who's next. The parents have been with us through this whole ordeal, with the strike, with with everything. Um, So we've seen it all, and I think that it is only fair and it's only right that they make sure that they include um, all parties in the selection process. Here now is a look at Dixon's time with CCS. From 2001 to 2010, she served as an administrator at Brookhaven High School and at Columbus Alternative High School commonly known as cause. She started the superintendent role in March of 2019. She created the Department of Engagement. We will certainly keep you posted every step of the way in the search for a new superintendent of Columbus City Schools. This week, Columbus City Council put a ban on flavored tobacco. We'll talk about why the mayor says it's a move that will save lives and why the school board is backing the ban. Plus, major changes could be on the way for the Ohio State Fairgrounds. We'll take a look at the plans the governor hopes to make reality.
0: A public service message from the National Pest Management Association. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Back to Tracy Townsend, courtesy of 10TV.
2: We have an update on the summer power outage that left thousands of AEP customers without power. PJM, the company that monitors the flow of electricity and that ordered AEP to shed power to avert a massive electrical shutdown, explained what lessons it learned from the outage. And they say AEP needs to do a better job clearing tree branches along electrical lines. And more training, they say, is needed on what to do in that type of situation. The Ohio Consumer Council took issue with the findings because it came from AEP, not from an independent review. Really, I think we need to find some more details. And I don't know if PGM is not necessarily the one to do that. I think that needs to go
4: towards uh, AEP to release some information. And if they can't release information, moving that up to the PUCO to start a formal uh, investigation of uh, of this outage.
2: An independent federal review is expected next month. Six months after the storm, the PUCO has yet to conclude its investigation into what caused that power outage. This week, Columbus City Council put a ban on flavored tobacco.
4: The strategy
2: is simple. Hook
4: them while they're young, you get a customer for life. Well,
2: that sample cannot stand in our community. Leaders say this is all about public health and equality. As 10TV's Brittany Bailey reports, they hope this creates a domino effect throughout the state. The past four years of my high school career, with all just nicotine-based issues and things, have been pretty detrimental to my education,
1: actually.
7: Frankie Midosky is only a high school senior, but she's already taking a stand on a community problem. She says vaping is an epidemic among her peers.
4: It's just encouraged. It's on social media, like everybody on our TikTok everybody on our instagrams
2: they're all encouraging that vaping is like this cool behavior when actually it really isn't and there's severe health risks
7: she joined columbus city and health leaders to send a unified message that flavored tobacco should be banned in the city
4: there's nothing nothing acceptable about an industry that willfully preys on the safety and well-being of our community to prop up their profit margins.
7: Mayor Ginther's message comes as the Columbus City Council banned the sale of flavored tobacco, including menthol cigarettes, in the city. Columbus Public Health Commissioner Dr. Maishika Roberts says this legislation falls in line with the city's past efforts to declare racism a public health crisis and do something about it. Flavors are used to hook kids as well as minority communities on nicotine. And nicotine is very, very addicting. But not everyone is supportive. Public hearings on this have drawn large crowds of business owners and others who worry about the negative economic impact.
4: We think this this is something where we can work together uh, and we can figure out ways to support these businesses moving forward when they're not targeting African-Americans and young people in our community.
2: 10TV's Brittany Bailey reporting there. Columbus City School Board of Education is passing a resolution to support the ban. Here's why.
3: I saw this as an important thing to highlight for our board. And we share the sentiment that flavored tobacco, flavored nicotine products being sold to children is dangerous. It's it's something that is also distractive. It's something that disrupts not only their lives health-wise or otherwise, but also in the academic space.
2: The capital city is pushing to put nature first, and a well-known face is leading that charge. The Rapid Five collaboration includes Morpsey, the Urban Land Institute of Columbus, and Franklin County Parks. The founding board of directors met for the first time. The board is made up of 16 people representing the community from art, real estate, design, and more. And they are led by Dr. Amy Acton with this next generation that is so, so
6: interested in being outdoors, so interested in both the adventure side of it, but also the peace of mind it brings. Science has been done that shows that states of awe and wonder are actually something that's incredible for our mental health. And I know for myself, you know, going places like Chestnut Ridge, this little undiscovered park, being out there for half an hour, just I I can feel everything change for me. And we want all of our citizens to have access to that. What's beautiful about our waterways is they are within a mile's reach of every neighborhood, every neighborhood. And before long, we've already had Appalachia wanting to connect up to Franklin County. Delaware is naming some of their new park systems, Rapid Five. So we realize that we have an opportunity to
2: create a park system that reaches this entire region, over 4 million people. The founding board will officially convene in March of 2023. The governor has big plans for the state fairgrounds. Governor DeWine's plan includes changes that he says aren't set in stone. The proposal includes putting a town square on the grounds, renovating and demolishing existing buildings, adding parking garages and installing a new entertainment pavilion.
4: We have to look at this fair as something for all Ohioans. Every single Ohioan should be able to walk on the state fairgrounds and find something that they really love and get excited about and are inspired
2: by. These changes would happen during the course of several years and funding... Not quite locked in just yet. Well, we certainly thank you for joining us here on Face the State today, and we do wish you a terrific week. Take care.
0: That's again Tracy Townsend, courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, from their Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV.
3: So many times, the lack of basic needs gets in the way of our students. Neighborhood
0: Bridges, a local nonprofit, has developed a way to get school kids basic
4: necessities.
3: Visit NeighborhoodBridges.org to make a difference in our student lives. Find
4: your community and subscribe.
0: This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Hi, this is Dave James, and on the phone with me is Dwayne Casares. He is the CEO and has been for almost as long as Jack Nicholson was the caretaker at the Overlook Hotel. <laughs> you need some help. <laughs> it's Dwayne Casares. He's the CEO of Directions for Youth and Families. How you doing, Dwayne?
3: Um, I was better until this call started, now you're concerning me. <laughs> so, I'm doing good, Dave, how are you?
0: I'm good. Tell us about Directions for Youth and Families.
3: <laughs> we're we're uh, a nonprofit. Uh, we serve over 7,000 uh, um, kids and families in the Columbus area offer a variety of counseling and therapy programs we have over like 50 licensed clinicians all of our work is outreach meaning we go into the homes or into the schools in the community um, this eliminates barriers of transportation and child care for doing office-based treatment we also have two after-school centers which have homework help leadership development uh, music uh, dance art um, all kinds of activities for uh, kids to be involved in
0: and how long have you been there not just as the ceo but even before that
3: um I have been here since 1990. Wow, this has been a long journey. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh it's been quite a while. We yeah. uh, I think when I started here we had 32 staff and now we have like about 120. Wow. Um so um I was the first master's licensed clinician ever hired um and now
0: and it's uh, it's really something too because uh the city of columbus the metro area or just franklin county has grown similarly you know you're talking about four times the size your agency and probably the city is like that or the the metro area has done that as well
3: yeah and it continues to grow and um at, at really kind of an alarming rate when you consider the housing situation that we already have that is somewhat challenging um, and out with Intel coming in and an influx of other people, um, you know, it, Columbus is the one city in Ohio that just keeps growing even when other cities start to uh, decrease in population. So we will have many challenges as we move forward.
0: We were going to talk today a little bit about the holiday season, but not necessarily the jingle bells and the joy of it, but the way that it can be a, kind of a downer for some people.
3: Yeah, you know, it's like, you, like the holiday blues. It's a um, you know, it's, it's really kind of tough. I think for some individuals, and it can be for a lot of different reasons. Now, some of it is because um, people are a little bit more isolated. Uh, I don't think some people have come out of even some of the uh, uh, isolation that we had during uh, the um, beginning stages or the hard stages of the pandemic. It can be because this is the first holiday that you're going to spend with family, and you lost somebody this past year. So. Um, that absence will certainly uh, be noted um, it can be tough even uh, and, and I, I know this from a, a personal account um, you know as, as our parents are aging and, and uh, you know some of them are, are losing some of their faculties so that even becomes a challenge and, and uh, things that you have to address and um, and deal with and confront um, that you may not normally have to because you don't always have people these folks in your face so uh, or around you um, so although these times can be great times a celebration, um, it can be very, very difficult in some individuals.
0: You know, in the past, I remember you've talked about how if uh, if a family has lost a member in the last year, that maybe even putting a, an empty place at the table for them might help. And and I used to think, boy, that almost sounds creepy. But but I can see how that would help uh, a lot of people.
3: Yeah, for some people, it's just honoring the person. It's, it's letting them know. Um, that you know we we haven't forgotten you um but you know that you bring up a good point what's going to work for one person Dave may not work for the others you know that that's the toughest part about being in mental health there isn't one journey to healing um everybody has different paths you know when we talk about the five stages of grief um nobody advances in those stages in the order they are um from from person to person at all times this is they're more of a guide uh, of potential areas, Um, but everybody's journey is different. You know, we're all individuals, and we respond to things differently, um, and and we will react to things differently. So, um, you know, in therapy, we have individualized service plans because we have to tailor everything to that individual, And, and part of that is their cognitive functioning. Um, part of that is their emotional well-being. You know, part of that is you know, where, they, where they are um, behaviorally and, and, um, and from a self-discipline standpoint. Um, and as you know, even some of it is even where they are spiritually. So um, everybody is different, and people will respond to things differently. I think the important thing is to you know, discuss this with other family members before you just jump in and do something that um, may actually uh, uh, not sit well with other people.
0: And I guess because everybody does go through different stages and maybe even back and forth during the course of the grieving, maybe that first Christmas that folks are going to have without that loved one or a family member can present itself rather than being a time of dread as the time that the healing really begins.
3: Yeah, it really can be. It can be a time of celebration can be a time to, to take a moment for everybody to share something fun or the funniest story or, or uh, something like that. So it's very, it can be a very, very joyful event. I'll tell you one of the things that I get concerned about because we're going to probably start seeing these things. Is you know with all the social media, people will start to post things like, oh, this is the first Christmas without so and so, or oh, this is the first you know holidays without um, so and so. Uh, This is the first time we're going to enter the new year without so and so. Sometimes that's concerning to us. I think those of us in the mental health field, when we look at uh, people searching for validation on social media, um, that's just not the healthiest thing. Although some people use it to like say, look, I haven't forgotten them. Look, I haven't this. And and I I we don't know that how healthy that. Really is um, if things promote healing it's great um, but to seek validation uh, um, and, and a sense of belonging uh, through social media is, is is not the healthiest alternative uh, or path to take
0: you know the validation thing is so interesting to me because I really find it hard to believe that there would be anybody out there who has used Facebook who has not enjoyed having something that they posted being liked? I mean, it is you know you're somebody scratching your back, so right. and yet that's very problematic at the same time.
3: Yeah, I think that that can be okay if it's done occasionally. But we all know people who post things on a very very regular basis because that's what they need. Um, and when you start, when it becomes a need, um, quite frankly, that then is a dysfunctional need. And using social media to meet your dysfunctional needs is unhealthy and it's not appropriate.
0: There must just be uh, an awful lot of studies going on about it because, I mean, this has really changed society.
3: Oh, definitely. It, it has greatly changed. I mean, it, it's changed in many different realms, not only just for validation, but you're looking for validation. And and particularly with younger people, they can use this as an opportunity to exploit you and bully you. Um, so it has the opposite effect.
0: Talking with Dwayne Kassaris, he's the CEO of Directions for Youth and Families. The high-profile people used to be people like LeBron James, and he still is. But now we're getting some of these CEOs and, and some of the world's richest people who are involved in this stuff, and, it's just, and, and the politics. It's just a big mess.
3: Well, the danger with that is that they start uh, directing the narrative. Um, and that narrative can be based on their belief system um and their truths not necessarily the truth but their truth Um, and when you start to present that as the truth um, that can be very very dangerous
0: i think i remember reading years ago that facebook was planning to take the like function off uh and then i don't know whatever happened to that it just never happened
3: yeah i recall something like that i think I, one of the things that were being de- debated is whether they added a, like, um, a downvote function. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think Facebook decided against that. Reddit actually has that, and, and I find that kind of fascinating because they will hold you accountable and call you out. Um, it, it's just a, a total different type of um, response to these types of postings. It's almost... Uh, just sometimes if, if, a, if a Redditor is, like, fishing for what they call karma, um, they get called out on it, uh, it's a, uh, And I'm not a proponent of, of lashing at people and calling them out the way they do sometimes, but I'm not so sure that that isn't any less healthier than people looking for
0: validation. You mentioned, uh, you know, the bullying that takes place in social media, and that once in a while we hear about kids that are, that are committing suicide over this stuff. It's just completely destroying their lives.
3: Across the board, suicide has really ha- has become a concern. Actually, mental health across the board has become a concern. You know, it was escalating, I think, heading into uh, the pandemic. And then, as things started opening up, I think we're just seeing more of it. Um, uh, you know, it's it's it, I always think about it. Everybody keeps talking about mental health, but when are we going to do something about it? You know, when we're going to uh, fund it to levels that are appropriate so we can meet the needs of people in the community. Um, and, and, and mental health doesn't know income levels. It doesn't know, you know, communities. It doesn't know suburbs versus city versus, you know, rural. Everybody uh, can, can end up suffering uh, from some type of mental health issues, and they need to be addressed. And right now it's very, very tough because there is um, – really not enough mental health workers to fill all the positions that are available. Um, everybody has wait lists. Um, so even though you may finally have the courage to step forward, and I do believe anybody who tries to get treatment is a person of courage um, to take that step forward. Uh, it is a very scary thing, but it's half of the process. Um, I, I really do think the fact that you decide to address it is half the battle. Um, And now then you got to work. The the other half is is working to get um, uh, to a healthy
0: end goal. Talking with Dwayne Casares, CEO, Directions for Youth and Families. Last week on the program I talked with the president of the Ohio State Medical Association about job burnout and about a survey they have online for licensed health care workers who can take a a questionnaire to figure out their own well-being and and, uh, mental well-being status. And it's a significant concern in the industry, and I would think that's the same with mental health care workers as well.
3: Yeah, it, it certainly is. You know, um, at least at our agency, we've been very, very intentional about creating a healthy work environment. The healthier my workers are, uh, the better work they're going to be able to do out in the community with the people that we serve. Um, I I won't go into the details, but Mental Health America recently uh, had us participate in their ocumetrics of 60 agencies, this is going to be bragging a bit, um, that were just completed in uh, this past year since last June. um, We had the highest scores of the 60 agencies they did in the state of Ohio. They actually even told us that uh, they've only seen uh, scores as high once before um, and that was when they did our agency in 2017. I say that um, to let you all know that if you are intentional intentional about creating a healthy work environment and you have to be intentional if you're going to do it, it can be done. You know, we, we have to stop managing by surveillance. We need to start managing by support. And managing by support is a lot different than surveillance. Now, many businesses use surveillance tactics to manage um, because they're effective and their bottom line is profit. Our bottom line is human lives, so we shouldn't be using the same variables and principles of profit in order to get to our end um, which means we have to change the entire way that we run our organizations and manage our people to support them so um, it was validating to know that what we have done internally uh, has been very very effective and and, uh, our staff are are, uh, they're they're paramount to us they these are we call it the second most important person so our clients are number one our staff are, are the second most important person and everyone's job in this agency including mine Um, I don't care if you're finance, IT, HR, it doesn't matter what department. All of our jobs are to support our frontline workers because they're the tools we use.
0: it's outstanding. You know the surveillance of employees that that's really interesting because I remember back when offices, newsrooms first started to have the internet access and back in the early days businesses were really threatening uh, their workers with what they were doing online or what they were looking at online. And when you're a news reporter and you're dealing with stories that involve crime and you're doing some searching on the internet, you're liable to be looking for things that, you know, you normally might not be looking for you know right and right. and so it, it, it had us concerned you know and it felt made us feel a little bit like we were handcuffed it's like you know I don't want to do anything that looks weird on the internet but I've got to do my job too yeah so even that hesitancy um, ends
3: up impacting how well of a job you can do right um, because you're gonna back yourself up a little bit and then start questioning yourself well that's surveillance you know, productivity numbers are surveillance, uh, you know, the, these are things that businesses often do because they're easy, uh, you know, you, you, they're actually, typically, surveillance techniques are uh, quantifiable, and they're not qualitative measures, um, and quanti- quantifiable uh, uh, variables are easy to uh, check off um, because you either did it or didn't, or you hit this number or you didn't, and. and I always think that if you have, if, if, I, if I have surveillance techniques across the board, I don't need managers because uh, my policy and procedures can run their people's lives, um, and I just don't find that to be an effective
0: practice. Yeah, and the Internet monitoring really has backed off because I think at some point it just simply became too big to, to keep in a box, you know, for companies.
3: Nobody has time to do that. Who's doing that? Don't you have enough to do? Right. I mean, in the nonprofit world, we're, we're used to having like one-person department. So um, we're not looking for other problems. We're looking how can we support our staff and
0: get our job done. Talking with Dwayne Cassara, CEO, Directions for Youth and Families. Anything you want to add uh, as we head into the meat of the holiday season here? Uh, yeah. Um, everybody should be putting positive energy
3: towards Atlanta and then hopefully L.A. from there. That's right.
0: A good way to finish it, Dwayne. This
3: would be a great new year if we can keep marching forward. I would love it. It would make me a very happy person. (laughs) It would be
0: outstanding. If anybody wants more info about your agency, where do they find it online?
3: You can check us out on dfyf.org. Great. Uh,
0: Happy holidays, Dwayne. Thanks for your time today.
3: Thank you, Dave.
0: This has been Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation to the fan. Heard each Sunday morning at 6 on WBNS-AM, that's 1460 ESPN Columbus, and Sunday morning at 7 on WBNS-FM. Sports Radio 97.1 The Fan. Join us again next time for Columbus Perspective.